Well, this morning we're going to have Arthur uh, Mainchess. Is that close? Arthur Mainchess. I did it. I think that may be the first time I've ever pronounced his name right. But anyway, he's South African, and uh, I got to meet Arthur in um, um, Huntsville, Alabama. We were both speaking at a meeting together, and I tell you, he's become a great friend. Him and his wife Kathy are just awesome, and they've moved now to the United States or in the process of applying for immigration status, and I'm not sure anyway. He's here legally, and uh, he's on staff with uh, the school and he's one of our resident teachers he lives up in fort collins but he comes down here on a pretty regular basis and i tell you he is a blessing and you're gonna love his ministry i don't know if you've heard him but he has his own ministry he travels uh has a lot of your materials do you have your materials over here in this room and so i encourage you to please get them and you're gonna really love him so this is arthur manchus praise the lord Let me just put, I, I wasn't sure what I heard Andrew just say there, but I am here legally, okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. We have immigrated, and uh, so we're, we're just so happy to be here, and I want to just thank Andrew and Gary for having me uh, speak at this conference. What a great opportunity. You know, I was thinking about this, um, you know, the whole week, uh, Kathy and I just got back from South Africa um, on Sunday, and so this whole week I was just getting ready for this conference, and I was just thinking about the great opportunity of having so many men here who have such great potential that if we're able to deposit within each and every one of you, man, what a great message last night. I mean, what a, what a great message to start. I mean, I was sitting there. I had to do everything in myself, just not to get up and jump and, and just, you know, high five. And I don't know, Andrew's just not that kind of guy. But, you know, but because it's just so awesome to understand these truths. You know, I'm, a, I'm starting to get involved with uh, the social network and stuff like that. So I'm a Twitter I'm not, I'm not what, you know, I'm a Twitter, yeah. <laughs> so I was, you know, over New Year, I was, I was uh, tweeting. tweeting. <laughs> I've got to get this right. Anyway, I was tweeting, and it's amazing. I'm, I'm kind of following a bunch of people, and, you know, ministers and pastors and great ministries and so on. And what was really um, sad for me is that so much of what I've heard even over the new year, you know, people giving you advice, many of the ministers and many of the churches and many of the, the men and women of God that I'm following. And, and, and most of it was about, okay, this is a new year. Pull up your socks. You know, let's, let's, let's do it better this year than we did last year. And I understand. But, you know, all that is is just, here's, here's what I want I to, tweet, I tweeted on there in response. I said, I said, you know, the greatest change in a man's life is not a New Year's resolution, but a New Testament revelation. 
Hallelujah. You know, because if you can get a New Testament, everybody say New Testament. New Testament. Not a Bible revelation. Now, you know, I know New Testament is part of the Bible, but we, you know, we, we kind of throw these things together. One of the worst things that we do in the church is that we mix things up. Amen. Bible is, is good. But the New Testament revelation, we have to see all of Bible truth through a New Testament revelation. Amen. And really, you know, this is, this is what I think. In, and last night set the stage, I think, for what I want to say. And this, uh, this weekend that we're going to be together, I'm going to be talking to you about what I've called the real stuff of life. The real, everybody say real stuff. The real stuff of life. Does that make any sense to you? I know in South Africa that is that is a, that is a saying that you can that people will understand. The real stuff of life. You know, you know. More and more people. The more I deal with believers all over the world, I'm realizing that so many men and women of God are just becoming tired, worn out because of the pretense. The I almost want to call it the falseness that religion has to offer. I don't know about you guys, but you know, uh, that, that people that I meet all over the place, I realize are, are becoming just disillusioned with what is happening within the church. And I'm not bringing accusation in the church. Is this that we, we are, and I think that Andrew said it so nice yesterday, uh, last night. He said, you know, it's, it's like religion has become... Uh, and legalism uh, has be- is, is part of our DNA. You know, it's like we, we tend towards legalism and the law instead of tending towards the truth of the New Testament, really. And so people are just becoming so disillusioned with the fact that, uh, that religion really doesn't have what is the real stuff of life. And I want to talk to you today about what the real, what is the, he said, what do you mean by real stuff of life? That which, that which is not imitation or pretense, that which makes and brings meaning to your life, brings you to a place where your life is not frustrated and, and you pursue all these things. You know, more and more people I see, more and more people that I talk to find that no matter what you achieve, none of the materialistic things we achieve in life, none of the, the, uh, the, 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 the conquering we do, none of the um, accumulative stuff we accumulate for ourselves, the victories in our life, none of that really means anything. Really, because while you're trying to get that, if you think that that's what life is about... If you know, talk about that whole thing of our identity being so rooted and grounded in in what we do and what we accomplish, our social standing, what we've been able to accumulate, you know, and and yet when we look in the world today, I think the testimony in the world today is that so many people who have been successful, who've been able to accomplish all these things, they get there and realize that this is just stuff. And it has really no meaning. It really doesn't have any value of of any kind. So here's what I want to say today is that as men here today, let's lay down the pretense. As, As believers, let's say done with this pretending. You know, because you know what religion does? Now, when I talk about religion, this is what I mean by religion. Okay? I hate religion. 
I tell people, I hate it with a passion. And the religion I hate worse than any other religion is Christian religion. Because Christianity is not a religion. Never has been. And and, and unfortunately, what religion does for us is it, it brings us to that place where you have to live right, do right, be right. None of us here can do that. So what do we do? We pretend. We fake it. How are you doing today, brother? Oh, I'm blessed with heaven's best. I know, good confessions are great. But all you're doing is you're pretending. Is it real within you? No. Come on. (laughs) You see... Turn with me in your Bibles. Let's go there to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said some interesting things. And I, I just realized, you know, I hope I get through this. But you know what? God knows where we're going, right? Matthew chapter 16 and um, verse 19. Now, you know, this is where Jesus comes. And Jesus makes it very clear in verse 19 he says i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven you know you know the story how he he said to his disciples who do men say that i am you know they peter had this revelation and 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 basically he says to peter he says you didn't get this man did not give this to you your human nature did not didn't bring this to you your your uh, heritage didn't bring this to you this is a revelation that jesus you know it's not it's not what other people say jesus is who do you say he is it's not what i say it's not what andrew says it's not what you know your favorite preacher says about jesus who do you say he is to you And then he says this, he says, once you understand and have a revelation of who Jesus is, then he says this, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm reading out of the Amplified Bible for this reason, because the Amplified really makes it really clear. He says, the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatsoever is loosed, declared lawful on earth, must be what is already loosed in heaven. Now, you know, there's, there's a lot that we can say. There's a lot that we, you must probably have learned over the years about this. But I want to just bring a couple of things out here. You know, Andrew was just talking about that last night, and I thought to myself, that sets the stage so beautifully for what I want to talk about here, because, you know, everything, what Jesus is talking about is everything that God has accomplished through the finished work of Jesus Christ is lawful unto you. That is what is real. You know, uh, last night Andrew gave us this this little test here, and, and, and... and he put on you, what Jesus did for me. Now, I know on the other side is the effect in my life. But, you know, if we look at this, this here, he says, the keys of the kingdom. Now, it's interesting that, you know, whenever you read about the keys of the kingdom in the New Testament, you'll see that it is always used symbolically, really, to describe authority, power, and insight. 
authority, power. He says, I'll give you the keys, the authority, the power, the insight to, as it were, unlock the real stuff of life. And whatsoever God has accomplished through Jesus Christ, that is what is real. And that's lawful. Everything that does not line up, every confession, every report you hear, every situation in your life that does not line up with that reality, that's not lawful for you. Amen? Amen? Now, you know, you're going to say to me, what's this got to do with it? Just stick with me here because I'm, I'm going somewhere with it. See, what we have to understand is that I believe that what Jesus is saying to all of us here is that we do not have to wonder what the real stuff of life is about. As a believer, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've asked Jesus and, and, and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to wonder what it is. The, the, the New Testament shows us clearly what is lawful for us. And Jesus says this. He says, if you understand the insight into this, it will unlock these realities in your life. You know, we were talking about in, 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 in this little thing that, and test that Andrew gave us, and I was just thinking about that. So many people, how is it? The email that he got, man, that was awesome. This lady says that in the church, the, 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 the altar call for people who are sick, why is it that in the church we have more sick people than in the world? Why is it? Why? You know why? Because very few people really believe in the New Testament truths. Very few believers live, live in a place where they are lawfully accepting what Christ has done for them. Unfortunately, what has done is sickness, disease, infirmity, mental uh, illnesses, really. I mean, 72% of mental patients in mental hospitals confess to be born-again believers. I don't know about you, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Why? Because we don't understand the finished work of Jesus and we haven't received it. So, so today what I'd like to talk to you about is this. Is that in my mind and understanding of the New Testament, there's a, there's a key. Righteousness is what, what Andrew was talking about there. But I want to kind of bring it into a, into a relationship situation. I am convinced that when I study the New Testament and I look at the, 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 the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of Paul, that relationship is what God has for us. Without an intimate relationship, and I want to call it friendship. Everybody say friendship. A friendship with God. There is no meaning to life. There is no meaning to, to any area of our lives. I mean, just think about all the people that you know, all the famous people that you know, all the, the famous actors and, and, and successful people, multi-billionaires. And, and if you look at the tabloids and all the kinds, of, and you see how many of those people, even though they've achieved all this stuff, they have everything they're ever going to need. They're not happy. They become drug addicts. They want to commit suicide. Why? Because it is all about relationship. Why? Because here's, here's the key. The only thing you and I are ever going to take with us into eternity is relationship. 
The only thing you're ever going to take with you into eternity, the only thing of all the stuff that's in this world, good things, the only thing you're ever going to take with you is relationships. And so if I, if I look at this, you know, think about this. Your car. Now, if you're anything like me, I, I like a nice car. I look after my cars. But you if I leave this world, somebody else is going to drive that car. I'm, have you thought about that? I mean, you know, some, some of us, we look after our cars as like, man, and, and we're so possessive about the whole, you know, having, but hey, somebody else is going to drive that car. If you leave this place, you're not taking it with you. The clothes you wear, I like nice clothes, you know. But you know, somebody else is going to wear it if I leave this place. I'm not going to need it. The money you have in the bank, I, I know, I know you're not going to like to hear this. Somebody else is going to spend it. And most probably will not be the one you want to, <laughs> to spend it. Amen. Hallelujah. So turn with me there in your Bibles and let's go to, to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Chapter, well, I'll tell you what, go, go, rather go to Matthew, Matthew 6. Are you guys okay? Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 6. You know, here's Jesus teaching about the fact that, you know, physical things, clothes, money, food. And he says, don't you realize that God knows that you need these things? He says, if God dresses nature that is one moment, the next moment you put it into a fire. He says, how much more will your father not take care of these things in your life? I mean, just think, if, if the birds of the air don't worry at night, I don't, I've never seen a bird sit on its nest at night and, and not been able to sleep looking for a sleeping tablet. Because he's worried about what he's, where his next worm's going to come from. No. <laughs> but listen to what verse 33 says. He says, he says, after all these things, these things that we seek, these things that we think will give us gratification, these things that, that, that we think will make our lives worth it. He says, the Gentiles, this is what they seek for. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, I don't want to teach on the kingdom of God here, but let me say a couple of things about the kingdom of God. Now, if you study the New Testament, I know there's a lot being said. There's a lot of teaching around about the kingdom of God. But, you know, when I study the New Testament and I look at it through a New Testament perspective, I just see that the, it's very simple. Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of God is not a physical place. It doesn't come with observation. That means you can't see it with your physical eyes. You can't go to a place and say it doesn't have boundaries that you can go and have a look and say, well, this, this, this is the geographical boundaries of the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom of God is never, is never something that's on the outside. The kingdom of God is something that is internal. It's inside of us. 
Amen. And then, then Paul comes in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. The only reason I know is because Andrew, <laughs> we were looking for that scripture just earlier on. And, and, you know, Paul says this. He says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Now, when he says meat and drink, what's he talking about? Well, if you read the whole context there, he's talking about the religious rituals, the religious things we think that if we could stay, get to the standard that we live up to, this religious standard. What is religion? Religion is what man thinks he can do for God. What is Christianity about? Everything Christ has done for you. Amen. Now notice what he says. He says the kingdom of God. Jesus says it's within you. So it's an internal thing. Everybody say internal. So the kingdom of God is an internal thing. So that means where you go, that's where the kingdom is. See, a lot of people say, oh, you know, say, no, where you go, you put your foot there, kingdom of God's here. You go here, kingdom of God's here. You go here, kingdom of God. Oh, you know, you, know, you don't know the city where I'm in. You know, it's a tough place. Man, listen, when you put your foot there, that's where the kingdom of God is. That's the kingdom of God. Now, so it's in, within you. Paul says, it's not meat and drink. It's not a religious system. It's not a religious thing you do. It's not what you eat. It's not what you drink. It's not how you dress. Come on. What is it? He says, it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness. You know, Andrew was talking about that. I'm not going to teach all on, on that because I know that's the area he's going to go. Righteousness is just this. Righteousness is not a standard of moral conduct. Righteousness is a position you have in the presence of God because of the finished work of Jesus. Hallelujah. And so when we understand, so what's he saying? The kingdom of God is within you. It's an internal, I call it, state of being. It's a state of being when you are in a state of being made righteous. When you become aware of it, when you start to believe in it, when you start to put your trust in that reality, he says, that's the kingdom. And out of that position, the kingdom of God operates. Are you guys with me here? It's out of this position that I have in righteousness that produces peace. That's why he says it's righteousness, peace. Righteousness, the moment you start putting your trust in the finished work of Jesus for your righteousness, the moment you do that, peace is a result. It just becomes part of your life. How many of you... And I know you've heard this, you've seen this, you've maybe even done it. Well, you go to somebody and say, you know, I just, I'm facing a lot. Would you just pray for peace? Now, I understand what you're saying, but I, it can't be done. I can pray for you and you might feel something and all it might be is goosebumps, but it's not peace. Not the peace of God. Because the peace of God comes and flows out what he said. Now, remember what Jesus said. He said, I will give you the principles or I will give you the insight that will unlock the kingdom for you. Amen. And I believe it has all got to do with relationship. It's righteousness which produces peace, which causes you to live a joyous life. In all circumstances. That's just in the nutshell. Now, now you know, I, I want you to, to kind of keep this in mind because I know that I'm kind of going a, a long way around. But friendship with God 
None of the materialistic things that we achieve, nothing that we conquer in life is going to ever mean anything unless we have that intimacy with God. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Boy, this is, this is powerful. Now, if you can, I tell you what, if you can allow yourself to get this New Testament revelation. Now, I know that many of you here, you've, you, you know these things, maybe mentally you know these things. But really, it's about establishing your whole belief system. To the place where that when you do. Why are people sick? Why are people mentally ill? Because a large part of the church today does not put their faith in the finished work of Jesus. The, the system is around our own ability. Our own strength. Our own, what Paul calls the flesh. Paul calls it the flesh. Hallelujah. Now notice, listen to what he says here. Jeremiah prophesying, he says, Thus says the Lord. And again, I'm reading out of the Amplified. Let not the wise and skillful person glory and boast in his wisdom and skill. Let not the mighty and powerful man, person glory in and boast in his strength and his power. Let not the person who is rich in physical gratification and earthly wealth, glory and boast in his temporal satisfactions and earthly riches. But let him who glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me personally and practically, directly discerning and recognizing my character. That I am the Lord who practices loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So notice that, you know, Jeremiah makes it very clear here. That, that the real stuff of life is an internal, eternal relationship and friendship. Again, I want to use the word friendship with God because that's really where I want to go with this today. You know, right through the Bible, you have Moses. You know, in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, it's interesting. The word, the word friend there is literally means the, the, a person with whom you are relaxed with in whom you will share your intimate confidences one with another. Moses, in the Old Testament, did not have what we've got, and he had a relationship with God that was based on this, this friendship relationship. This, and, you know, in the New Testament, James comes and he talks about Abraham. And he says, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. He says... And he was called, not a friend of God, the friend of God. Oh man, I don't know about, I don't know if you get this. I mean, I, I mean he's, Abraham, again, didn't have, doesn't, he, don't, he didn't have what we've got. And he was, his testimony, 
This is how Abraham, his testimony wasn't that he was a good man and that he was a, a, you know, a, a man who had it all together. In fact, you know, we talk about Abraham and the Bible talks about him as the, the, the father of faith. But in fact, if you study Abraham's life, and what he, he's the father of failure. Man, he had, I mean, he did some stupid things. He, almost everything God told him to do, he did the opposite. I mean, it's amazing that some of the stuff. Now, he did some great things, but, you know, but here's, but his testimony, what was said about him, when people saw him, they didn't say, oh, he's a friend. No, he's the friend of God. Man, he's, he's the guy. He's the friend of God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, when I look at that, turn with me in your Bible, say to John chapter 10 and verse 10, and, and, you know, we know these scriptures and, and I'm kind of just laying a foundation here for where I want to go tomorrow. But it's so important that we get to this place as men, especially in our relationship with God. Because religion has made God into the image of somebody that you don't just have this freedom to come to at any time. Someone... Somebody who is, who's a, a Lord down upon is really the relationship that most people have. He's, I know He's our Lord, and he, I know He's our God. I know He's the creator of the universe. I understand all of that. But it's interesting that God revels in having a relationship with man that is friendship-based. That is, that is on the same level. Not down upon you and you up to Him, but it is... Same level, eye to eye, sharing confidences one with another. Now, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this. He says, the thief comes in order to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, I know 99% of the time when people read that scripture, they say, you see, the devil is the thief. I know he's a thief. The devil is a thief, right? Those people are not convinced. The devil's a thief. Amen. <laughs> But, you know, really, if you study that passage of Scripture, I don't think and I don't believe he's actually talking about the devil. In fact, I truly believe that there's more evidence in that Scripture that he's talking about religion. He's talking about some other way to try and get into the kingdom. Some other way to get in, to climb over the wall. That's called religion. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. I am the door. By me, everyone comes in and out. He says, but the one who wants to climb over the wall some other way, he's the thief. So what's he talking about? I believe he's bringing a contrast between the the aim of what religion does and what relationship does. He's saying, religion, the only thing that will happen with you is that you'll find that you get stuff stolen, steal, kill, destroy. Now, I see some of you guys are like, well, I've just never heard about it. Like, Well, listen, make it the devil if you want to. It's the same thing. Because, in fact, I tell you what, he is, he's behind all religion. And he says, if you get involved in a relationship with God based upon law, legalism, then it's going to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what you're going to experience. 
You're going to experience failure after failure after failure, guilt upon guilt upon guilt, condemnation upon condemnation, to the place where you give up. See, I tell you what, in the church today, there are many men, men of God, men of God, who should be taking their place. You should be in a place of where the kingdom is operating, influencing their sphere of influence. And because they are involved in a religious system and they can't see past the blinders, when that happens, they sit in a place where they either give up and don't go back to church or they sit in church, the lights are on, but nobody's home. They amen, and no, but it doesn't work for them. They don't practice it. Brothers, may I tell you something? As a group of people, a group of men like we are here, if we truly will grab a hold of the truth of the New Testament and friendship with God and enter into that friendship, have boldness to enter into that friendship that God is offering you today, when you do, I believe we can change this world, just this group. You can change your family. You can change your sphere of influence. And before you know, you can change your city. Man, I'll tell you something. I, I'm with Andrew 100% as far as this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be preached in the world. There are very few people that will have the boldness to stand up and preach what he did last night. You say to me, how do you know? I preach all over the world. And there's very few voices. But here's what I want you to hear. Jesus said this. He says, the difference is, he says, but I have come that you might have Zoe life. And he says abundant. He uses the Greek word there, which means super abundant. In fact, that same word throughout the New Testament is connected with another word, hooper. Hyper. People say, well, you're a hyper grace preacher. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus was a hyper life giver. Whoa! I'm into hype <laughs> when it comes to Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. We got to see. He says this. He says the thief comes to steal, but it says I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Now, in John 17, if you turn there with me. John 17. See, because we can get excited about that and we say, you know what? That's right, Arthur, you know. Jesus, come to give me. Hyper, super, abundant life. But then he gives us in John 17, he gives us, as it were, the insight into how this is practically manifest within your life. John 17 and uh, verse 3, he says, well, let me read from verse 1. He says, when Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father... The hour has come, glorify and exalt and honor and magnify your son, so that your son may glorify and extol and honor and magnify you. Just as you have granted him power and authority over all flesh, all humanity, or mankind, now glorify him so that he may give eternal, there's that eternal, zoe, abundant life, to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. This is what this super abundant go beyond everything this world has to offer life. That, you, that they may know. Now listen to how, how he puts it. Amplified says, 
This is eternal life. It means to know, to perceive, to recognize, become acquainted with, and to understand you, the only true and real God. And likewise, to know him, Jesus, as the Christ. Now, you know, I I don't know. For years, I understood that to know Jesus as the historical figure. No, to know Jesus as the Christ. Whenever you understand, whenever those two put up to, Jesus is the Christ. The Christ is always referring to the finished work. The Christ is the anointed one who came to do what he did for us, a completed work. He says, and to know Jesus as the Christ. And what he accomplished for you. He says, this is what eternal life is all about. This is where we, we practically come and start to experience. So what's Jesus doing here? Jesus, the, the words that he spoke there are so powerful. I think that, that most of us don't really get it. And that is that he came not only to preach to us the good news, but Jesus came and he also demonstrated it. Amen. Now, what's what Jesus did? Jesus said this. He said, I have come. And he says, and if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. If you see me, I've come to give you this life. This life is having intimate relationship with God the Father and knowing the finished work of Jesus and, and trusting, putting your faith in that. He says, now, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, it's interesting. He says this, and, and we all know the scripture, John chapter three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave. Amplified says that he gave up. He gave up his only begotten son. He rather gave up Jesus rather than give up on you. He gave up. He bankrupted heaven. Amen. Now turn with me. This is the scripture I'd really like you to go to. John John 15 verse 13. Are you guys doing all right? Am I going too fast? Have I lost you? Okay. John 15, verse 13. King James says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, He said, If you see me, you see the Father. For God so loved people that he gave up his only begotten son. And then he says this, greater love hath no man than this, than he laid down. If you see me, if you, if you hear me, Jesus, if you see me, you see the Father. What's God, what Jesus doing? He's demonstrating to us the, the real intimate relationship God wants with you and me. Why? Because he calls you his friend. He sees you as his friend. He says, you are my friends. He's talking to his disciples. If you do whatsoever I command you. See, people say, oh, well, you see, there it is. You know, you, it's, 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 you're only God's friend if you, if you will do right. He says, henceforth I call you not servants, for a servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Verse 16. You have not chosen me. 
But I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Now, brothers, I tell you something. There's, there's, there's so much here. What Jesus is doing, he's talking to his disciples. And, and, and I want to let Jesus speak to you today. He's changing their view and perspective of relationship with God. He says, no more am I calling you a servant, a slave. You are my friends. You are my friend. He says, and I like this. See, here's the thing that you've got to understand. I know that many people, and, and, and it's difficult. It's really difficult for many. It was difficult for years for me. Sometimes it's even still difficult in my life to see myself in that relationship with God. Why? Because, let me tell you now, that kind of thinking does not come from man. Any man left to himself will not come up with the idea that God's my friend. Jesus says this. He says, I call you my friends. No more are you my servants or slaves. No more am I this master down upon. Yes, is Jesus your Lord? I understand all of that. He is my Lord. I, I submit to him. A dual slave, as it were. But he says, the relationship I want with you is a relationship of friendship. I came to die for a friend. I see the value in you as a friend. Now notice, he says, and this is not your idea. I chose you. You didn't choose me. You didn't choose this relationship with me. I chose this relationship with you. And then he says this, for I have ordained you. You know, it's interesting. I went and had a look at that word, ordain. That word ordain means to place in a horizontal position. To to put yourself in a posture of laying down comfortably. Oh my God. Jesus says, I have chosen you to be in relationship with me in a position where you can lay down. Another, another one of the definitions there is to sink into and be enveloped. To sink into a relationship where you are not on your guard. Boy, I tell you, tomorrow we're going to talk about a lot of these different things about relationship and what true friendship is really, really about. Amen. And he says, I've chosen you. You haven't chosen me. You didn't choose this. Man didn't choose this. Religion doesn't choose this. See, this is, this is an idea that comes from God. And the reason it's so hard for us to grasp this, receive it, is because it's not our idea. It's not our nature. He wants to do this. I have chosen you. You know, uh, Romans, go with me there to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. How many of you are doing all right? You still breathing okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> he says, Paul, now we hear what Jesus said, let's, let's hear what Paul said. Paul writes here, New Living Translation says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Boy, I'll tell you what, Andrew, Andrew brought this out, you know, I've quoted this so many times, that God justifies the ungodly. 
Jesus came to die for sinners. What does it mean he died for sinners? While you and I had no thought about God. While you and I were happily going our own way. God thought about you. He sent his son to die for you. Hallelujah. Now notice he says, verse 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's judgment. Boy, we we could talk a whole week on that. He says, in verse, uh, verse 10, he says, For since we were restored to friendship with God, I like the New Living Translation, because we have been reconciled. That word reconciled means to be made friends with, to remove all enmity and hostility. We have been made friends with God. Paul says that since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his son while we were still enemies... We will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. Verse 11 is one I like. He says, so now we can rejoice. Come on now. We can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus has done for us. Making us Friends with God. Oh, no, no. You see, you didn't didn't hear. He didn't say you can become a friend of God. He has made you. You can rejoice in this. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in this. Why? Because you were made a friend of God. So, but, but, but Arthur, you don't understand what I do. You don't understand where I come from. You don't understand my issues, my problems. And obviously we call those, uh, anyway, <laughs> we call it challenges nowadays. But you don't know my challenge. No, my friend, what you don't understand is you have been made God's friend. Yeah. So, but Arthur, but, but that's difficult for me to understand. I know, I, but it's the truth. He has made you his friend. Man. Now let me just say to you, this is how this, is how this revelation came to me. I always, I've always heard this, but I didn't get a revelation of it. My youngest, or my son is the youngest. When he became an adult, now he's always been my son. I've always been his father. I'm the authority in his life. I was the provider. I was, you know, the father figure in his life all his life. But when he became an adult, it was at that time that I realized that even though I'd had wonderful relationship with my son up until that point, our relationship was changing. And I realized one day I was sitting and we were struggling. Anybody here have sons that you've had struggles with to relate to? And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to relate to him and, and trying to find, he's trying to find me. And one day I'm laying on my bed and I said, God, all I want to do, my son's name is, 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 is AJ. I said, all I want is to be his best friend. And I heard the Spirit of God just say, Arthur, all I want is for me to be your best friend. You see, listen, guys, 
What is friendship? Let me give you a couple of things about what is true friendship with God. Friendship with God means that he knows your weaknesses. That at your worst moment, does anybody here know that you have some moments? Three of you? Okay, good. We have, come on, we have our moments. We have our moments and we don't want to talk about it here for sure. We have our moments. But at our worst moments in our lives, God sees you as valuable, precious, and someone to be held in high regard. You see, when I realized with my son, he had issues. Boy, I tell you something, I know some of you guys have gone through some of the, but he had some issues. But even though I understood his issues, even though I saw his weaknesses, even though I saw the stinky side of him, I still valued him and held him in high regard. And I realized that, you know what, God looks at me that way. A friendship with God is when we have somebody in our lives who understands our past, who believes in our future, accepts us today just the way you are. Now, brothers and sisters, I tell you, oh, there's no sister here. Is there? <laughs> brothers, let me tell you. <laughs> Unless there's one kind of hiding somewhere. Let me just tell you this. God knows everything there's to know about you. And He values you. He knows your past. He believes that you have a future. And here's the biggest part of it. He accepts you today just the way you are. I don't have to change. No, you don't have to. But he loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. Guys, I'm telling you, until we can come to the place we realize that, you know what? God accepts me with all my stuff. God doesn't turn. See, there was a long time in my life where I thought God put up with me. You know, unfortunately, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's how, that's how I looked at it. For God, it was unfortunate because he wanted to kill me, but now he can't because I accepted Jesus Christ. And so he didn't really like to spend time with me, but he had to. Just had to. And every now and then I did things that he wanted to kill me. Then Jesus had to jump in between and go, the blood, the blood. And then God would go, oh, 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 yeah, that's, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot, I forgot. And then Jesus would save me. God, this very minute, knows your past, understands your issues, and He accepts you, loves you, just the way you are. But you know, He loves you enough that when you enter into that friendship, you will not stay the same. You will change. You will change. He's done everything. If any man be in Christ, is there anybody here who's in Christ? Come on now. 
Some of you are like, I'm not sure. Hallelujah. If you're in Christ, he says, you are a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, look, everything about you is new. I like that, you know, there's there's another translation that says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new species. Oh, man. You're a new species. Born of God. Born, Paul says, you owe your birth. Not to your earthly father, not to the will of the flesh, but to God. Hallelujah. Now he says this. He says, everything about you is new. Now therefore, he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. Making friends. He has reconciled us. Not holding our trespasses against us. That word reconcile, to be made friends. Removing all enmity, all hostility. So that there's peace between you and God. You know, God is our sovereign God. He's the creator of the universe. He's our Lord. He's almighty God. But the relationship he wants more than anything with you today. This is the invitation of God. I want to be your best friend. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to you. It's an invitation to me to enter in. But God, amen, brother. Hallelujah. Invitation. Will you be my friend? That, that's the gospel in a nutshell. That is the cry to this world. Brothers, let me tell you something. You know why the world is going to hell? Because we're not preaching this message. I still have to find a man or a woman out there that when you tell them this truth and they can see it, the revelation comes to them that they can resist it. They can't. The problem is is we go out there and say, you can't be God's friend. You can't be until you will rise up to the standard. Come on now. The invitation of God to you today and to me today is this. Will you be my friend and enter in? I know about you, but I say yeah. I don't understand it all, but I say yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's all stand together. Father, we thank you. We honor you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just where you are right now. You say to me, Arthur, does it mean I'm not born again? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you need to change the view. That's what that word means. Repent. Change your thinking. Change the way you see things. Change the way you believe. You say to me, you mean, Arthur, God's not angry with me? No, he is not mad with you no matter what. No matter what. He said to me, Arthur, but you don't understand what I've done. No matter what, he's not angry. His hands of friendship is stretched out to you this morning. Where you are right now, if you say to me, you know, Arthur, I want to to change that. I want to enter into this new relationship. I want to rejoice, as Paul says, rejoice in this new relationship where Christ has made me a friend of God. If that's you today, then just lift your hands up and let's pray together.
Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you came. You stretched out your hands of friendship. And Lord, the invitation today to us as men together, thank you, Lord, we respond. We don't always understand exactly what this, what this means. We, it, it, is, it is foreign to many of us here today, God. It is a foreign concept. But Lord, we are bold enough today to enter in and say, Yes, Lord, I want to be your friend. I want you to be my friend. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Glory. Give Him glory. Rejoice. Hallelujah. And that's nearly too good to be true news. Isn't that awesome? What would we have done if we had added that to our test? That Jesus died to be your best friend. And how is this affecting you? Man, that's powerful. Awesome. Well, let's take a break until 1030. And we will be back at 1030. And remember, we're giving away another present at 1030. And if you aren't here, you'll miss it. Like who is the one that... David Clark missed his halogen lamps and special thing because he wasn't here. Be back at 1030.